You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. Hey, people-centric leaders. Hey, it's Don Harkey from People-Centric here. And I love to tell stories. And I know you all love my stories because we get lots and lots of lots and lots of fan mail about my stories. Diana, how many letters would you say on average an hour do we get? Like if you just rounded it to like the nearest whole letter, like how many letters an hour do I get fan mail for this podcast? Uh, Can you please define letter? Like, are we talking about paper or like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, like like actual fan mail that comes in that we have to open sure. and it's like, you know, sure. notes on it, pictures drawn for us, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. How many letters uh, do you like I get an hour? You can zero. round it. Zero. 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 I get no fan mail. <laughs> you no, I'm sorry. Philip gets quite a bit. Philip gets a lot of Philip, you've been getting fan mail? You know, there are bags and bags. It looks like the North Pole around Christmas time in here. I, I'm sure those are really for our whole team, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet you're the only one opening them, apparently. That's I what to read. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Don is saying, please send fan mail. Like, is that what you're, you, uh, that is, ex- yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Please send fan mail. It's People Centric Consulting Group. You can look us up. We have an address. We have a 429 West Walnut. I'll just give it. <laughs> yeah, 429 West Walnut Street, Springfield, Missouri. We're in downtown Springfield. Send us stuff, right? Every once in a while, we just need some love here. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But we do hear a lot. Uh, it, it is fun when we go to conferences and associations and things. We do hear people from lots of people who are listening to this, which is really exciting for us because we first started doing this in the hole in the pandemic and thought, I don't know if anybody's listening to this or we put this thing out. And here we are 150 odd episodes later with the People Centric Podcast. And we are hearing about impacts. We've had people stop. Uh, just last week, we did a retreat with a team. And one of the members of that team had been listening to our podcast for quite a while. And they talked about some problems that they worked through, through with our own team through the podcast. So uh, we're excited that you're here. So maybe we should be sending you fan mail, people who are listening and watching to us right now. So I watch- love that. This is our fan mail episode to you. There yes, you go. yes. Yeah. Heart, we love you. Heart. <laughs> yeah. This is what we're doing right now. We love, love you. Yeah. Yep. So today, so today's topic, we're we're excited. We always say we're excited about the topic because if we weren't excited about the topic, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it. We would stop. And there are topics that don't make it that we talk about. And we're like, none of us are excited about this topic. Let's not talk about this one. But we're going to open up with a story since you all love the story so much. And it's going to go back to the days when Don was an engineer way back before I was a recovering engineer. And I worked for a big company, 3M, worked for 3M, and I worked in the adhesives division. And one of the things every year that we would have to do is capital forecasting. So let me explain the process a little bit. Every year, 
the company would say, okay, everybody, what money are you proposing that we spend on stuff? And so we would look around our division and we would say, we need to replace these roofs. We need a new mixer over here. We got to do this project. We got to do this project. Uh, some of them were really big projects, but a lot of them were really small. So it, you were looking at hundreds of projects that you might consider doing. And then we would propose it up and say, these are the things that we're going to do. And it would go up the ladder. And then upper management would look at it and say, yes or no, yay or nay. Yes, do that one. No, don't do that one. Yes, do that one. And it would give us an idea of what our budget was for the year. Well, as a frontline engineer doing this and submitting budgets up, uh, I saw that the process looked like it was broken to me. And what was broken about it is that we would present stuff up, but it wasn't they didn't see a longer term plan. So like we would go to do roofs and we would always get roofs, would always get rejected. Like we can we can do a roof next year. We don't have to do a roof this year. We can do the roof next year. And the pile of new roofs, of roofs that we had to replace started really getting tall. It was taller than Phillips fan mail. It got ridiculously large. So I started as a frontline employee, I was getting really frustrated with that. Like a lot of frontline employees do. They don't uh, frontline employees get to see sometimes consequences of decisions that are made near the top of the company or in the middle of the company that the, the executives and managers don't get to see, right? We see things sometimes that I think people need to know. So I thought about how do I help this process? And so I was careful about this. I We had just had the vice president. It was a newer vice president for our division had visited our plant. And so I got to meet him and he seemed very nice and approachable. And so we had a little bit of a relationship there. And I thought, I think I could work with this guy and I think I could really help him. But I know that I shouldn't go just tell him that he's doing his job badly or do his job differently or you need to change something. So I went to my boss, I went to the plant manager, and I just said, hey, I think I could help our whole division a little bit with this process if we just centralized how we were forecasting. Instead of you collecting it all from all these different sources and you having to look at it, we could kind of help you collect it and we could help prioritize it a little bit more for you. And it would give you succinct information. You'd be able to make better decisions. We could show you like a three-year, five-year, 10-year plan. We could give you input on it. It would just be a lot better communication. And they loved the idea. And they go, they green-lighted me talking to the vice president of the company, who was literally, I think, four levels above me. I think there were four, three managers between me and this person, like four levels above. And so I sent out the offer and I sent it out very humbly. I didn't say, hey, you're screwing this up and I'm going to fix it for you. I sent out an email just saying, hey, I had some thoughts on capital forecasting and some tools that might be able to help this process a little bit and was wondering if you would were open to discussing. And he took the meeting and we jumped on and we talked about it. And I said, hey, I just, I'm just trying to help the process and see if there's something I can help you with. If the answer is no, that's totally fine. I'll go back to doing what I was doing before. So we started talking through some of the ideas and he ended up loving it. He loved the ideas that we had on the table. He added some things of his own. He told me some things about the process that I didn't realize. But long story short is we ended up doing the process differently, very differently. And for, I think it was three years, I was very connected in helping to forecast the capital for this division of 3M. And with the new process, it became much, much easier. Like it became a lot easier to predict what we were going to get approved or not approved. Uh, the VP talked, commended us several times for get, have, having plans. Uh, we started getting roofs fixed because you could see the plan for it. And we knew that we were what was piling up and what we could do next. I felt, and it was amazing. It felt really, really good. It was one of the most engaging moments I had 
at the company because I felt like, man, I can do what I'm good at doing and help the company and the company really likes it and I'm making an impact. So that's the topic for today. It's this idea. And we found out, we learned from a recent Forbes article that there's a name for this thing and it's called reverse mentoring. And the idea of reverse mentoring is how do you as an individual contributor, as they say in the Forbes article, which I don't like that term, I don't think any of us do, but as a frontline employee, how do you lead your managers? How do you lead your executives? If you have an idea and you want to bring it up and you really want to help the company, how do you reverse mentor somebody that doesn't have to listen to you and may even be threatened if you approach it the wrong way? Like, what's the right way to approach this in terms of this topic? So that we're excited about this topic of reverse mentoring. How do we do this? What does that look like? And then if you're an executive listening to this, don't tune out yet, because here's the message for you. We'll give you a little preliminary message is you may need some reverse mentoring. So maybe you should listen to this to see why. And this might be for you why you should listen to sometimes the employee who comes by and says, hey, you got a minute uh, so that you can give give some time and maybe listen and, and think about what what's what's happening there. So we've got Diana and Philip on our call. We've already talked to we've learned about our bags of mail that we don't get except for Philip, who gets tons of mail. But uh, Philip, you're the one that I want to give you. You reverse mentored us on this one and you found this topic. Like, uh, let's start off with you. What jumped out to you? in terms of this article that you read and, and why you thought this would be a good topic for our podcast today. <laughs> well, I love that. What yeah, The reason I was uh, perusing this article and it stuck out to me, especially in just roles previous to where we're at. And then also as an engagement specialist, um, a, a lot of the time in my experience as a leader, maybe I'm not you know, a CEO or an executive of this level or these different things, right? Ho, 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 which is good, hard earned, <laughs> good jobs. Um, but there's still a lot of influence that can come from any person. And I think uh, what I have experienced is just natural influence. And so kind of this idea too, I, the challenge with it of reverse mentoring, and to your point, Don, your story, you even share, you didn't come in with this attitude of, I know better, and I think you are wrong, and I think you're intentionally doing this inaccurately, and you're just on a power trip, because none of that was true. It was just someone that was genuinely overwhelmed and didn't like to do that hard work anyway. And so reverse mentoring comes from the perspective, I guess, of how can we help add value to you? How can I be of value to you? This is a perspective I see. And this might sound really weird, but kind of how I visualize, um, I, I don't like bugs. You know, I'm a Colorado native. So when I there's a bug around, I'm like, oh, got to get rid of that bug. Um, and the thing that's crazy about flies, we can never hit a fly. And the science shows it's because their eyesight is so wide. Flies have the biggest eyes. So when you start to try and hit a fly, it moves because it has such wide eyesight. And I think a team that works really well and listens really well, it's just a bigger eyeball, right? It's kind of crazy analogy. We might cut this out. Um, but I think people that can mentor, reverse mentor, talk with each other from varying levels, it just makes your eyesight bigger and wider so you can adapt faster. So that's when they say, when they say, I believe I can fly, that's what they really mean. They don't mean like actually fly. They mean like you can fly because you can see things coming from all directions. That's exactly it. That's it. Okay. All right. I didn't know that. That's new information for me. Uh, I like that. I like Philip, you said something that I feel like I do need to confess to, though, is you said like, well, you approached that with a really good attitude because you had a good attitude about it and that helped everything. I would say actually, in hindsight, I had a terrible attitude about it at the beginning. So I just wanted to acknowledge that is, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, boy, there's something I would really like to change in my company. I recognize that you may not be starting off with that 
as humbly as I told the story. So I just wanted to be, I wanted to say like, sometimes we like to say how, how messy it really is. Like, no, no, no. Initially it was like, I hate this process and it is dumb and I could fix it. And those idiots at the top, da, 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 da. I think it was actually meeting the vice president and have him being new the division, those two things can't combine together. That made me like, go like, okay, well, that's a new leader. So he didn't do this before. And then he seemed approachable. So maybe we can work together on this. So it did kind of change my perspective, but it is important on how you, how you approach those different things. Diana, I know you and I have talked a lot about this topic over the years about how do you be, how do you influence your, your, your managers? Um, What are thoughts you have on this? Why do you like this topic? Well, I think, I think partly, 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 that's not a word, partly, partially, partly, whatever, it's fine. Um, Partially because of what we talk about at People Centric, it's because we always say that leadership is influence and we say things like everyone can be a leader, but the reality of that is actually a lot harder than it feels. And so when you're an individual contributor, which is what the Forbes article called it, don't love that. When you're an employee and you're kind of frontline and you're doing your day-to-day, it is hard to say to yourself, like, no, I am a leader when you really have no way to do that. You have no way to tell people what to do. You have no way to change anything. And so I love the concept here of this is how you do that when you are a frontline employee. This is how you do that well. And this is how you show leadership when you're not in a leadership position. So I think it's super cool that we're able to talk about that today. Yeah, I love that you mentioned our definition of leadership because it's really simple and it's weird. So I want to warn you about that. We've done whole weird. I think I mean it's weird. Yeah, I've been to we have been to many, many, many conferences and associations, which which will we're out there doing that kind of stuff all the time. Side note too, if you have a conference and association, we do travel. And yes, we actually do work with companies. Somebody asked me that question. Are you just professional podcast putter honors? And no, we are actually do work. Wait a minute. Someone thought we were professional podcasters. That's kind of rad. But at the same time, it's like, where do you think we get our stories from? Like most (laughs) of our time is spent working with teams, real teams and real people out there. And so when we thought about like, what is leadership to us? We said like, well, let's come up with a simple definition that's useful. And so to us, leadership is simply influence. Your leadership is influence. Leadership is not management. Management is authority. Leadership is influence, right? So managers and leaderships, they they do fit together very closely. Obviously, managers need to influence their employees, but at the same time, we recognize that employees influence their managers. And we also, as a consequence of that, just to review this content from other episodes that we've done, is that also means if leadership is influence, it doesn't say anything about it being positive influence. So if I have the, if I'm the frontline employee and go back to the capital forecast story, if I'm the frontline employee and I hate that process and I start telling other people how much I hate that process. And when the process comes up, I complain about it and I, I resist it and I fight it. I am a leader and I'm probably a pretty effective leader inside the organization, but I'm leading the wrong direction. So maybe the first point is to think about it. You're going to influence as an employee. If you're like, why can't I be more influential inside the company? I think our message is you are influential inside the company, but how should you be influential? Like how, like, do you want to be a positive leader or do you want to be a negative leader? Yeah. That's where Matt always says, lead them well, right there. You can lead people negatively. And a lot of people do that pretty often or you can lead people positively. And so I think today we're going to focus on how do you do that positively? 
Yeah. Yeah. So we recognize that you might start off frustrated, right? Like the thing you see a thing, you're in the front line and you see a thing that's not working well. And maybe you have a good attitude about it, but maybe you don't. Whatever, however you start, you see an opportunity. Let's talk about like, let's get, let's get detailed here. Let's dive in. How do you start to approach this? Like what's the ways, what steps do you take to start to, how do you set up the reverse mentor relationship? Well, first of all, you start by burning everything to the ground and complaining about how you hate this place. That's like the, that's the first step. <laughs> Just that's, kidding. that's smart. Yeah. 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 Make sign yeah. anarchy centric. That's the <laughs> pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Take the social media. It's a very healthy platform for having company discussions. Yes. Just yeah. kidding. No, don't do that. But I understand the feeling of that, right? That's usually where a lot of this starts. It's that like, I feel mad and frustrated and I, I hate how this is going and no one is paying attention to how it's actually working, but they keep trying to do things that aren't fixing the thing. And so I think, um, the first thing you should do is consider what problem are you trying to address? Don't try to address all the problems, right? Because I think when we're mad, we can say, I'm going to fix this and this and this. And if I did this one thing, it would like remove all of the barriers and I can get in there. And I think the real thing is focus on the one thing you want to do and figure out who it is you need to engage to do that one thing. Well, I like that. So you're, you're sprinkling a little emotional intelligence, I think is what it sounded like there. Oh, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Is that what that is? Like, don't get mad, you know, but in, and emotional intelligence says it's okay for you to get mad. It's just, what do you do with the mad? That's the key. Like you can't, I've heard somebody say recently, like you can't control your emotions, but you can control what you do about them, which will then control your future emotions. That's how you don't spiral into madness, right? In terms of I'm upset with this and every time this happens, but it could be, I don't like this. This thing pisses me off. Can we say pisses me off on the podcast? Yeah, is that that. This is not for children. Yeah, we're good. Not for children. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if your kids are in the car, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you hear something that just absolutely pisses you off, and you're getting upset about it, like, like, then you can say, I'm just going to be upset about it. And I'm going to lead the company the wrong way. Or I can think about who do I, who could I engage in? How could I help to maybe fix the situation and maybe approach that differently? So what does that look like in terms of the opening? So you identified the person, you've checked yourself. I love that you're checking yourself. So you're not coming in swinging, right? You're not kicking in the door or, or, or leading a rebellion against the company, but you're, you're approaching the right person the right way. What's the right way look like? Oh, I think that's tricky. I think that is where it starts to get sticky and messy and, you know, where it starts to fall apart. Right. So I think you have to go to the person, maybe not four levels above you, maybe the person right above you and just put it out there. Like, Hey, I would like to get involved in this. I would like to help with this. Here are some ideas that I have. I, I know you guys have it handled great, but I really think I could add some value. What do you think? And just putting it out there, it opens the door, I, I feel like. So open that door a little bit, but, but also go into it expecting that they could say no. I think you have to know that this might not go anywhere, but you still have to try. Talking about it too, you know, is this problem, um, which a bit of that pre-work for yourself before is going and and maybe not starting off like, hey, Diana, did you hear this process that Dawn created? It's terrible. Let's hate on Dawn together and hate on the process. together. But really, it's more like, wow, this thing that happened, this is really, you know, do you know why it happened? Has Have you had this experience too? It's, it's making my job harder. 
And you kind of, you know, without creating riots, but like having an honest check-in with your team, almost a reality check too, or just people that do similar things to be like, yeah, no, I know it's not just me. This is beyond me and kind of get a group. And I'd say, when you go, you don't have to say, I've been talking to a crowd of people, but you're like, I know it, you know, it seems to me what I see is that there's, this is general consensus. This is something I see. And always when you offer the problem, because I think from leadership, leaders are really, uh, it's, they're used to having nothing but problems brought to them. I think we hear a lot of frontline staff say something similar that leadership says too. They only focus on the problems, right? And I think that's teams across the board. You could say that's probably what happens all the time. So saying, hey, leader, this is what I've seen that you've done. I'm really thankful for this. This is a current problem I've experienced recently. I have reached out to different people, not saying I was going to come and do this necessarily. I just saw this was enough of an issue for enough people. This is our idea, my idea and making it better. This is how we can do that, you know, bop, bop, bop. And then they can take it or not. And that's definitely up to them because they have the authority. But I think bringing it in a servant-ish way that's also confident is different than I've got a bone to pick with you. That's a power. That is a powerful perspective because most executives that we work with, one of the things that we see them fall into uh, frequently is what we call the executive quicksand. So it's the idea that they know a lot of things. They have a lot of responsibility. A lot of executives want to try to protect their team. So they take on a lot of extra work and a lot of extra stuff that they do. So they have all the, these lists of things that they need to go after. And there is going to be a tendency for many, many executives and managers when an employee approaches them with a new problem or a new perspective that you're just adding to my list of things. And there's going to be a natural tendency to be frustrated in that. And I think as an employee, you have to be aware of that. And then you have to think, I have to kind of power past that. Like I have to forgive the reaction. The reaction may not be about you. They may be a little annoyed or they may be frustrated or something like that. That may have nothing to do with you. It may, even though it may look like it, that you're bringing that problem. So I think like Philip, what you're, what you're kind of saying, and I like the way Diana, you said this too, is you're, you're sort of offering yourself. You're not just offering a problem. You're also offering some kind of a solution, which might be yourself. It's not a, Hey, you're doing this the wrong way. Like it's hard to go in cold with somebody and say, you're doing this the wrong way. You need to, you're doing A and you need to do B. What I did in my story was more of like, hey, I see a different way of potentially doing this. Can I help you? And with that question, it was hard to, that. that's an easy thing of saying, I'm not putting this on your list. I'm actually offering to take something off of your list. I think that's a powerful perspective for executives. Yeah, for sure. And Don, I have a question. Did you your boss, did you feel comfortable with that person you went to? Like, had you built a relationship with them prior to needing to talk to them? Like, or did you ever, did you not talk to this guy at all ever? And then all of a sudden, like go with a problem. I think that's a really important question because, you know, as we talk about something, the relationship makes a huge difference on how successful this is going to be, right? So if you go to have a conversation, you have no relationship with the person and you're coming in cold and they've never met you before. Uh, you've got a hill to climb. They don't know you. They don't trust you yet. You don't trust them yet. Like there's a lot to overcome there. In that story, if I recall, like I had a pretty good relationship with my supervisor. So it was pretty easy to call him uh, and tell him. And he knew me well enough to say, and don't do it this way. Don't do it this way. Don't do it this way. Don't don't leave a Don Harkey size hole in the wall, I think is what he, he said. He coached I'm, you. That's coached cool. Me. That's exactly right. He coached me into like, here's, here's some ways you can think about approaching that. Uh, but yeah, I think if you're willing to help in that space, I think that would be really, really good. And then I believe the plant manager at the time I had a pretty good relationship with too. 
so that did set that up. Now I had no relationship with that VP uh, other than just meeting them, you know, in that. So it's kind of, it's new. So it seemed like that was appropriate, but yeah, I think the relationship side, this is another, probably a good tip for people is don't wait to, for the moment that you have the idea to go start to talk to people in leadership positions. Uh, you know, why is it hard to, let me ask this general question. Why is it hard to go talk to an executive? We hear that a lot. Employees are nervous to talk to executives, especially in large, larger, mid, mid-sized to larger companies, but it's even true in smaller companies. Why are executives less approachable? I don't know. I am one. I don't know. I feel like, uh, just, I feel great. You guys come talk to me. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) Executives are conversely where we are. I don't know. We're unapproachable sometimes because we do have a lot on our plate and we uh, kind of are looking at a million different things at once. I think uh, we feel a lot of responsibility on our shoulders for everything that's happening. So it becomes sort of our, our, our baby. And if you call our baby ugly, we're going to lash out about that. Um, I don't know. There's probably a million reasons, probably a million reasons. I sign a paycheck for you. Like that's difficult, you know? So I don't know. There's Philip. Why is it hard? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, if you observe, I'm just an observer. So if there have been execs before that, I was just slower to approach or I only approached them when I saw, you know, this is really, it better be worth it. Um, you kind of have your investment, right? So anytime I step in to make a withdrawal by asking or approaching, I think that people kind of see it like that. And so the higher up you are in an organization, your accounts are way bigger. You can make withdrawals and deposits anytime because you're the executive. These accounts are yours, right? But I'm the small little person whose hands tremble before I instant chat Diana to ask her about payroll. So I've got to really be careful before I, no, not really. Um, but I think that that's it. And just even when you interact with people too, our simple question for people at any level, no matter if they're an executive or front lines or anywhere between, um, have you talked, you know, when they voice a concern or an issue, have you talked to someone? They almost always say no. So any of, and so I think we, as people just don't like to reach out when things are wrong to begin with. So if you add these power dynamics, it's even harder. Uh, but the, I guess the best thing to remember, and again, unless you're in a truly toxic place, the odds of you being fired because you bring up a genuinely good question are very low. And I think it's that fear that you'll be looked at badly. So it just goes back to the how. Because I think the why, if people know your why, that's really important. And they know your why behind your question based on your how. How you go about asking and then your follow-up after that um, that's just, I think my take on it, but again, there, you have heard of people who respond really aggressively and that is a scary thing. So I think it's a mixture of how you go about it. You know, back it, it makes me think like going back to junior high or middle school or something like that. And you have a crush on somebody and they kind of have a crush on you and you're talking to the friends like, well, they like you, but do they like you? And you're not talking to each other. I feel like sometimes it feels like that for executives and frontline employees at companies, because we get to work with both sides of that. And if you talk to the frontline employees, what they'll say is, oh, my gosh, the such and such walked through our office the other day and everybody kind of froze. And I didn't know what to say. And they walked by and I just kind of looked, looked at them and smiled and nodded, but I didn't say anything. And it was super awkward. And I wanted to talk to them, but I didn't know how to bring it up. I didn't know how to say it and all that. And they're like, so how do we approach those executives? Because they just know everything that's going on or all those things. And then what's funny about it is this is the, this is the part that reminds me of the junior high piece is then you talk to the executives. And you're like, 
And they'll, they'll tell us things like, yeah, I walked to this department and it was super awkward and people didn't like, I don't know if I'm supposed should I say hi to people? Like, I want to talk to people, but I don't want to like scare them. Cause I know like if I talk to them and suddenly like the CEO's looking over your shoulder or the head of the department or something like that's like, oh my gosh, they came by. And I know little things I say sometimes spin off into, oh, there's a reason that you came out here. So it's like these two sides of this relationship that both sides want a relationship with the other generally, like that's not universally true, but generally with executives we talk to want to know their frontline employees and frontline employees want to know their executives, but there's some kind of a, like a weird junior high-ish, like, oh, what did they say? What did they say? Kind of thing. And they want to go through intermediaries to talk with each other. So, I mean, I think knowing that and recognizing that there is a lot of value in building that relationship before you need to use the relationship to try to solve a problem. If you don't have the relationship, I think what we're saying is it's very difficult to go to somebody and say, hey, vice president, I've never met you. You've never met me. And I've never met anybody between you and me, but I can really fix this because you have zero credibility from that standpoint. You haven't built any trust. Like, are you even accurate in the information that you're giving? I mean, it's very low likelihood of something like that working. But if you have had conversations with your supervisor and you've had conversations with that next manager up and the, the the blood flow, so to speak, up and down the org chart is good, then you do have a chance to be able to bring that stuff up. So as an employee, you know, think about that. Maybe what's the advice for the executive in this case? Is there a value for the executives to get over this and have relationships with employees? And what does that look like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... I think executives oftentimes get stuck in their own stuff, right? We all have a tendency to get stuck in our own things and focus on the things that we think are important. And those things are just like big strategy things. And then when an employee comes to you and they're talking about something that's like very day-to-day or menial or something you consider not big picture, it's like, why are you talking to me? And I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. This isn't important to me. But I think an executive needs to stop and realize that the day-to-day is actually really, really, really important. And not to say that the big picture is not, but the people doing the actual work have a lot of value to tell you because they're the ones doing the actual work. Not that executives aren't working, right? That's not what I'm saying, but they're the ones in the weeds and you need to know what weeds they're talking about. You need to understand that. And you can't just like, say it's not important because it absolutely is. It's hard to translate. I think sometimes as an executive, the conversation of how's the weather or what's your, how's your dog doing or whatever those like little casual conversations that we have with people to build relationships into how is this going to translate into value for the company? But like, even going back to my original story, because we were so involved in the capital forecasting, like there was one of the first projects and the first forecast that we came out was this mixer project. And what happened before in the old process was we would have to go out and say, we're proposing a new mixer for this adhesives area. And we would try to be guessing how much it would get approved. And so you would try to lower the number as far as you could to put it out there, knowing that you're probably gonna have to ask for more money again the next year for something else. Well, with the new process, we could lay out like, here's the long-term plan that we have in terms of mixer capacity in the plant and what we're gonna do. And so it allowed, and because I was involved with it directly, I could talk to the vice president and say, okay, we're going to get this, we're we're proposing a new mixer for capacity and I'm showing you the plan and it's going to cost us, and I'll I'll make up numbers for this. It's going to cost us $2 million for this mixer. 
And so he said in that conversation, he's like, well, okay. And I've seen the plan. I've seen it. And it looks like, and we won't do that for a while and everything. And he says, so is that the recommendation that we have one mixer installed? And I said, no, I think we should do two. And he said, why should we do two? And I got to tell him something that the frontline people knew that the vice presidents didn't know. And what I knew was that we were making a two-part adhesive. So it's like a two-part urethane or an epoxy. I think most people have used that. You mix part A and part B and it hardens. Uh, well, up to that point at the adhesives plant, when we would make them, we made part A and part B in the same mixer. So if you think about it, if you make part A, you have to clean it out a lot to make part B. Otherwise, it literally, you can glue stuff together. Like those are really strong. We've glued the tops to mixers before and glue. It's, it's very, very strong glue. So you have to be very careful about how you, how you make that stuff. And so my suggestion was if we make it, if we install two mixers instead of one mixer, to build this capacity. Not only will you get this big capacity boost, it doesn't cost twice as much. And you can, it, the process for cleaning can be a lot shorter and simpler because you can always make part A in one mixer, always make part B in another mixer. I think I just explained that well enough. I'll bet everybody listening understands like that makes a lot of sense. That's something the engineers and frontline people knew for a long time. We talked about it from the day I started at 3M, that's something out there, but management never heard that. So because we put that system into place, we were able to do that. And of course, the VP is like, doesn't the mixer cost twice as much if we're installing two? And I'm like, no, that's the best part is it only costs like 20% more because we're only we're doing it all at once. So with that information, it's like, well, why haven't we always been doing that? Is actually was his response. Let's do that. So they installed the two mixers. And I am sure I don't know how much money that has saved 3M and how much headache and quality issues and products and equipment, all that kind of stuff. But it has solved a lot. And it, that may have stemmed from a how's your dog? How's your family? What are you doing this weekend? Conversation opened up that dialogue to get to that. So as an executive, my advice to you is to listen to those and embrace those moments, even if there's not a direct feedback for all of this. Uh, as you were talking, Don, I was just thinking, you know, another way to think of the way we define leadership, which is, you know, someone with influence, I think is also just someone that makes connections. Because if you're influencing people, then exactly what you said, you have information, you have relationships in a broad area, and then you connect it. And I think there's a thousand moments in any organization, big or small, with a lot of things like that, that people just don't fully connect, you know, and if it rises to the level of importance, then yeah, there's motivation to do that, whether that's two mixers or um, I, a note to self at home. Next time I make glue, I'll use two mixers. You've convinced you me. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just next time sense. you mill your own rubber and put it into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you did that a lot. We need to, you know, we have we, something to talk about to build our relationship, Philip. I didn't know you made adhesives at home, two part epoxies or your thing. Now I'm inspired. But one piece I was thinking of too, kind of a challenge to someone who's thinking of mentoring, reverse mentoring, whether you're the receiving end or the giving end, is maybe just like two questions of one, you know, do you think of yourself as a leader or someone is of influence? Because I think when we even talk about defining these things, a lot of people would be like, yeah, that's a great definition. And then we say, you are a leader. You have influence. They're like, really? What? And then how you use that influence, like overall, would you say it's a like positive influence that does make this difference to positively connect things? Um, and and I think if people pause enough to step back and just think, how, how could I do that more? That kind of empowers them too. Really, anyone can. It just takes that next step. Yeah, that's where you get to empower yourself. You don't need a you don't need a manager to empower you. You have had that power all along. 
go empower yourself to approach that. Now that means you could fail. That means they could hate the idea and they could slam the door on you on your way out of the office, but it's worth trying to build those connections. And I love that word, Philip, because it's a connection. When I think when you're building a relationship and you create that connection, the thing about the connection is it has to connect on both sides. So, which means you have to look to see if the connection has been made. So I think that's just a, that's a good piece of advice is if you're listening to this and you have all of these great ideas and you try to show up, if you overplay the relationship before the connection is made, you're going to be disappointed. If you go in swinging for the fences, it's like, it's, you don't in junior high, go up to somebody and say, Hey, will you marry me? You know, cause that's a future. I think that's where we're headed. You know, someday we're going to get married. You don't do that. If you do, maybe you do. And it's just not going to end well. Even if the other person says, yes, it's not going to end well for either one of you. It's not going to be good. You have to think about that. So you have to look for signs that you are at the point where you can make the suggestions or make the recommendations you're putting out there. Like in mine, it wasn't, Hey, I've got this idea and let me present this whole idea to you. It opened up by saying, Hey, we met here. Can we even meet? Would you even want to meet with me to talk about this? And that was the opening. And then I got the signal back that said the connection was strong enough that said, yes, I would love to meet with you. And I would be interested in meeting with you. And it wasn't just an email. You have to read between the lines a little bit. It wasn't an email response to of saying, sure, you know, whatever, I guess I could meet with you. It was like a, yeah, actually, I've been thinking a lot about this and I'm uncomfortable with this process. And I would love your insights on this. It was enthusiastic response. Okay, so you're checking the connection all along the way. And as we went and made, you know, could I, could you see me helping you with this situation? Yeah, I could totally see you helping me with this. I would love that. Is it okay if I call you from time to time to ask you questions? About, that would be great. And can I call you from, he actually asked me at one point in that process, is it okay if I call you and ask you questions if I need advice through the course of the year? And then he did it. So there were many times where he called and he's like, hey, we're thinking about this. We're doing a new division. I mean, at one point, 3M, they did an expansion. They did an acquisition. And he actually called me for advice on the acquisition. Like, hey, I was projecting this and we think about this. Do you think that this plant could take over this? And I mean, it was it, it opened up this whole connection. But you have to look to see if those connections are happening along the way. And I think you just pointed out another thing that executives need to think about is leveraging their team strengths. That executive saw that you had a strength in this budget building process, which you actually do. Like you still build budgets all the time. You love finances. You love the numbers, right? Those are things that are important to you. You do that with our company. You do that with other companies. Like that is a thing that you have grown to really enjoy. And it was a strength even back then. So that executive looked at it and said, this person has a strength and I see it and I recognize it and I'm going to leverage it. And I think that that's something really cool that a lot of executives in that moment could have been like, what do you know? Like, yeah. oh, thank you. You know, so I love that he recognized that in you. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad he recognized out the talent here, too. That's really. <laughs> Look I'm at glad. you now, CEO. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very people centric is what we're saying here. So, yeah. Uh, let's let's kind of do like last thoughts, like opening tips here. So if you're thinking about if you're the frontline, let, let's go to the frontline employee, but then or maybe to the executive. You can talk either direction with that. What's your advice for either the frontline employee who's like, I got this idea that I want to reverse mentor up to somebody and help them with somebody, something, or this idea that I'm at the top and I should be listening to reverse mentoring? What tips do y'all have? I think mine really does go back to that emotional intelligence thing. You are going to perceive however you react. So if you react or act poorly, that's how you're going to be perceived on both ends, right? 
So if you're trying to build relationships, trying to get that to get that connection built, trying to solve problems, and in any step of that, you react poorly on either side, that's how people are going to perceive you. Yeah. So you have to remember that like, even if the answer is no, even if the employee is bringing something you don't want to pay attention to, right? Those types of things, how you react in those moments are how you're going to be perceived going forward. I love that. Get your mind right before you go into that conversation. Cause if you are showing you're super nervous, you're super tense, you're super upset about something, like you just have to go in. And I like what you said earlier, Diana, too, of the get the mindset of like you, they may say no. They may not take you up on your help. And then you don't become the toxic negative. I'm well, then if you, I'm not going to help you, then I'm going to hurt you. I will destroy you. You don't want to go in like that because they'll sense that and they'll resist that. That's great advice. Uh, Philip, what advice do you have for our listeners? What's what's your takeaways from the conversation? I have enjoyed this conversation, first of all. This is a great, I think it's such a fun topic. And again, it applies to everyone. So for frontline folks, I would say maybe the best way to build influence is just to listen. Because um, again, frontline people say the same things executives say, which is, I know this is the, you know, this is the thing. I have it figured out. The story is this. They are wrong. Um, but just the better you are at listening at any level, the better you'll be at building these relationships and your own emotional intelligence. Um, so list, leaning in and really just like digging in to learn why something's hard or why something's not working um, and being open to you also being wrong. That's one of our people centric values. It could be you bring something up to the top and they share information that you didn't have before. Right. I think that's sometimes the struggle. And then for folks at the top, always, you know, staying fresh enough that you can receive that information. The day you stop listening, I think, is the day that you say no to relationships. So it doesn't mean that other people are always better or wrong or right. You know, there's all these things that get mixed into it. But if your ego or stress or fears are so big, you can't listen at any level, then you are not setting yourself up to be influential and to support others. Yeah, that's very, very well said. I love that. So it's, I think it's important to build those relationships up and down. Uh, we we often talk about, or I, I think of it as blood flow up and down the organization, right? Like it's like, if you think about the org chart as veins, like is information flowing up and down? Is there communication going up and down? It's kind of gross. I see Diana kind of cringing a little bit, uh, but it's it's really true. And if any of that does is choked off, if there's a disconnect, then there's not good blood flow. And then if the limb gets injured, it doesn't heal as quickly. Uh, and I think that a lot of that stuff happens. So we have to build those relationships really before we need them. But then I just encourage you this idea of around empowerment. You know, it's not up to an executive to empower another person. There's no human being that can empower another person. That's one of our fundamental ideas is people centric. You already had that power. So maybe you've been convinced otherwise or some at some point in your job. And we're here to tell you that you still have it. They didn't take it away. They've never taken away that power from you. You have the power to do something good every single day. And even if you don't have the power to make the change that you want to make to, inside the company, remember that you still have the power to react to that change in a way that leads your team in the right direction and creates a positive work environment, at least around your bu bubble. And if you have a company that is very, very toxic and pushing against you as an employee and you just don't like the direction it's going, you have the power to go find something else. And it's out there. And there's lots of opportunities to do that for everybody. So thanks for joining us on this topic. This was a fun one. Uh, hopefully you go out and practice a little bit of reverse mentoring. Just do it the right way or some pre-reverse mentoring. We get really technical with it. Uh, and join us at our next podcast. And hey, send those fan letters in. Like we really, we need some fan mail. We need something. Send us, send us stuff. We would appreciate it. Uh, but we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to the People-Centered Podcast. We are so grateful for you joining us every week. If you like this content, please like and subscribe. Also, feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know. It really does help us. If you would like to contact us, I have put our information in the show notes. Please reach out anytime. We love hearing from you. We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then, be well and lead well.